This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Tim Kawakami. Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio in the morning after a late night in Sacramento, but it was an eventful night. I will just say also, this is the first of a two-part TK Show. We are going to do some 49ers draft talk, kind of to mirror the split attention span maybe of the Bay Area sporting world. I'm going to have Matt Barrow, so the athletic talk a little draft, but I'm always, my mind's always on the draft. My mind's always on the 49ers, but we're going to talk Warriors first after a Titanic game five victory in Sacramento. Uh, I was there as always with the athletic senior NBA writer, Sam Amick. Sam, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? A little, little bright and early for all of us. TK, I'm doing fine. I actually, first time in these playoffs, I, I did not write off the game, so I'm a little little brighter than the rest of y'all who were cranking deep into the well, night. We did step uh, into my place on, on all 82. So that that's a load. That's a responsibility. Yeah, See, it's, it's, a, it's a team. You got to like, if you, you got to bring something, you got to hit the glass. You got to, you got to find a guy. You, you don't always have to score. I just, <laughs> I try to contribute. Role players always play better at home. So Sam, I think uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe that was part of it. Uh, let's just, I just want to run through some thing topics. We're, we're both groggy. I might be more groggy than you because I wrote and drove home. So oh, uh, I boy. might be a little batty, but that might make for a more entertaining show. Sure. Uh, let's just run through a few topics. Let's just talk about some things. Uh, Sam, you know, Warriors up 3-2 can clinch tomorrow at Chase Center. Series is not over, as I heard you say on the podcast last night, but you know, it's <laughs> leaning that way. Uh, Sam, what would you say the most surprising development of this series has been so far? Uh, there's probably a short list. I will go ahead and pick uh, Damana Sabonis's struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, even his line looked fine last night, um, but stylistically and and strategically and identity wise for the Kings. And again, because I'm based here, and I, I you know, to give the listeners. A little window into my little world it's you know as you know tim i use the kings and warriors arenas to to kind of access the entire league so a lot of times you might not necessarily be writing on the kings talking to the kings but you are watching them a lot it's kind of my home office at golden one center and sabonis all regular season long was i, I would call him a, a nikola Jokic light uh when it comes to the way they functioned the the hub role that he played the fulcrum of that offense, the passing, and then when necessary, uh, just getting down in the paint and doing bully ball, and more often than not being successful. He got these spin moves and these pump fakes that that uh, are constantly getting defenders in the air, uh, and he's pretty dominant. He just he had a fantastic season. I voted him like I think a, a fair amount of people fifth in MVP voting. So to go from that to this, where uh, he's just not the same guy, and it's a brutal matchup. Uh, I didn't see it coming. Uh, but Kevon Looney and Draymond Green together, Steve Kerr and his staff, 
schematically the way they have handled Sabonis has has kind of I think gutted this Kings offense that was historic in the regular season. So that's probably my my top guy. A good one from minute one. I mean, it, it, and I think you said it or somebody said it on the podcast last night. You know, Looney's out playing them. Yeah. <laughs> that is a tough thing for the Sacramento Kings to have to deal with. You can see it happening. It's just a natural, like he doesn't have a 20-foot jump shot. And so the Warriors are saying, you must have a 20-foot jump shot to be important to this offense or we're right. going to make, you know, it's just going to bog down everything. I will say my most surprising thing is that the Warriors role players actually haven't had to do too much. Like this is sure. on the old, I wrote about, this is on the old guys. Like I wrote after game one, like you're, they're going to need Poole and Kaminga and whoever else. Guess what? They have not needed them that much because Steph's playing 42 minutes a game. Draymond is coming off the bench. I don't know. I think they might stick with this. It's just, it's a good way to kind of keep them to 30, 32 minutes. Him watch the game as he talked about. Takes about two, three or four different roles. Looney's gobbling. You can't take Looney off the floor for very much. They sure. just have not needed these role players this round, maybe the next round or maybe the round. I don't know. But I thought this was a series where. I don't think the Warriors were the deeper team, but they needed something out of six, seven, eight, and they have a need. I, I've been surprised by that a little bit. And the Kings have needed their role players; they need them, and those guys Big have time. not. Yeah, have not really raised their raised their game. Yeah, and you saw that time. last night. Just as a quick follow, um, you know, in Game One, Trey Lyles, Malik Monk, those types of guys showing out and, and having impact performances, and and you know, Mike Brown. I, I don't. I think he had his best night in game five because uh, I'd have to go break the tape down and to get more clarity on on different rotational decisions that were made. But there was some strange stuff happening with their role players. You know, Trey Lyles would have a moment that you wouldn't see him for a while. Um, Keegan Murray, I think 10 first quarter points, they go away from him for the rest of the game. The Kings, others, as you know, Shaq always likes to call them, uh, even the ones that, that seemed like they had a little something, they they went away from them, and then you know Kevin Herter continues to struggle, uh, and that contrast where the Kings others aren't doing it. De'Aaron Fox, I do think late in that game, I know the Warriors hate this narrative, I get it, but I think the finger bothered him late. There's just no way that him shooting that way in the second half that didn't play a part. Um, Sabonis being partly MIA, that's that's just not a mix that's going to lead to a Kings win. All right. Uh... All right, let's take Kings big picture. You've touched on a little bit. Where, where do they stay? Say they lose in a decent effort, Game Six at Chase Center. Where are they? Where, where do they stand? Kind of in their own minds, in the NBA's minds. You know, have they moved up a couple pegs? Have they kind of stalled it? Where where are they? I think they're in a really good place. Um, I would be very curious going forward to to be a fly on the wall. When it comes to you know off-season discussions, morale, spirit, culture, all those things, and I said this yesterday too, but I think like Sabonis, you know, he can sign an extension this summer. It still appears unlikely based on the numbers because there is even with the CBA amendments, uh, there's a, a cap on what he can sign extension-wise compared to what he could get on the open market the following summer. So his future, you, Sabonis needs to look at this group. And and even with this series being a struggle for him, he's fantastic and should be part of their future. You know, he needs to see this vision to where the front office will upgrade the roster. They will get better. It will go in a good direction because I think they could have a long runway. Um, Fox, you've you got it for them. They've got to be ecstatic. You know, they make that trade with the Pacers last season where really the, the subplot that no one ever really wanted to talk about was that 
uh, for all the criticism they took from moving Tyrese Halliburton, it was partly born out of the fact that, of course, they had tested the waters with Fox on the open market trade-wise, and and it was not going to yield you a two-time all-star in return, a guy like Sabonis, in the way that Halliburton was because of the size of his deal and the fact that Fox at that time, his career was not in a great place. There are tons of questions about who he was. Those questions are gone now. He looks like a guy that you should be kind of hitching your wagon to going forward. Um, so mostly a very good place for them, a very good season, uh, and they have to build on it with the one caveat that the West is there's so much parity uh, in the West that they've got to you know not assume anything, um, and who knows how next year looks, but I think they're in a really good place. I know a couple a couple days ago after a couple of those games, I said, you know what? I, I, was, crit- I certainly was critical of the Halliburton trade. I love Halliburton as a player. Uh, but I said, okay, I get it. If Fox is going to be this good, obviously works so well with Sabonis that I get that trade. It was a good trade for the Kings. Now I'm going, I'm going, I'm going you know what? They could re- Halliburton would pretty, be pretty good with this team. Like a yeah. uh, two-way, two-guard, if he could work with Fox. I admit it, I'm being dilettante. I'm going back and forth on this. But uh, I They just lost a whole lot of games together. And I know not the hugest sample size, but it just it didn't work in their time together. Yeah. Uh, and and it was a decent sample size. So I hear you. I, I think it is a classic win-win. And really, the Pacers, I know Halliburton got hurt late in the season. Um, but in terms of the two teams and the arc and the direction, you know, uh, the Kings, I think, are feeling great about that trade. But they got to build from here. I mean, Kevin Herter, not to get too in the weeds with the Kings, but Herter, you know, looked like a really good piece that going forward would be a big part of it. But his struggles in this series, I think, are, are just not a great sign. So that comes to mind as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you got Fox playing at this level, matching Steph Curry like he has for most of this series, that's a pretty damn good starting point. It's it's a thing that many people say after a team loses or about to lose in the series. I can really see it. They need one more player. Like they need yeah. one more guy. Yeah. Whether Keegan Murray turns into that guy, uh, or they get like a, a real power forward, you know, can make some shots too. There's something one more guy. They got a lot of things that they need one man. I think they got the coach. I, I just love Mike Brown's messaging throughout this series. You know, I think people might say, Hey, why are you saying you could lose? Don't say that. I think it's great. It's like telling his players, like, I'm challenging. You're playing guys who've done it, guys I right. know. And we might not be good enough. Let's see if we're good enough. Uh, right. And and no matter what, we're testing ourselves for the future. And they are they are definitely a team for the future. All right, Sam. Uh, turning point of the series. You know, obviously it could turn again. I think we both think it won't. Uh, so to this point, what's kind of been the pivotal moment? It's probably the, for me. It's the most obvious one. It's the end of game four. Um, it's it's Harrison Barnes has missed three, <laughs> but. You know, and the writer and me and then us, Tim, we have these conversations all the time. Like that, that was so much more than a basketball shot. That was personal history, you know, where Draymond decides to to just look at Harrison dead in the eye and say, Go ahead and shoot it. You know, like he said on the video after the game, didn't think people were listening. Maybe he did, I don't know, but you know, we've seen this movie before, <laughs> hearkening back to the 2016 finals. Uh, but even before you you kind of unpack that part as far as turning points go. And I don't actually think, you know, I didn't notice at the time Mike Brown in his post game press conference pulled the curtain back a little bit where he talked about how their initial plan was to go one, four flat and to trust Aaron Fox, the guy who just won the clutch award in that situation. And so turning points, I, I, you know, this is the part of covering the league that I love is you can't ever read a guy's mind, but you know, I'm curious about whatever it is that compelled Harrison Barnes to 
come set that screen up top to essentially break what Mike had drawn up in the huddle. And I get it, you know, you you trying to take a guy like Draymond off of De'Aaron Fox, um, but it brought two defenders to that space. And Draymond made that choice to 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 you know not it guard the. No, it literally guy. brought Draymond to De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, yeah. De'Aaron, because Draymond was on Harrison Barnes. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. And, yeah. and Curry had been switched onto Fox, so you literally right. brought like that. They they run that so many times. You know that's the dilemma with Steph is you set the pick and roll, which he's so good at. You actually bring right. two defenders to him though. So you know that literally brought Draymond to to De'Aaron Fox. And so that what if for me is you know what what might Fox had done. You know, um, and I, I was watching a game last night where they, uh, it was the Hawks. Oh, it was, I'm sorry. No, two nights ago, Trey Young hits that monster three mm. over Jalen Brown in Boston. And I, there was a camera angle showing that Jalen Brown could see Quinn Snyder signaling <laughs> to the team that this is one fourth flat. And it's so it's, it's that moment where it's not the most creative offense, but when you have a guy like Trey Young in the same vein of De'Aaron Fox, clutch, willing to take those shots. Um, you just kind of let it ride. And in that situation, with a guy like Jalen Brown on him, who's a wonderful defender, Trey hits a, an unbelievable shot. Uh, the Kings were trying to have their moment just like that. And 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 it got mucked up by the the choice that Harrison made. I'm going to pick my turning point as a kind of a general moment was Andrew Wiggins playing great in game one. And he was coming off the bench, but you didn't know what he was going to have. You didn't know what shape he was going to be in. We had heard, heard that he was playing great in the scrimmages, but whatever that can mean after seven weeks away, after not playing NBA basketball in two months, the fact that he showed up and he played and he was obviously going to be a starter from then on, he got like 38 minutes, 39 minutes, whatever. Uh, th- that changed the way I thought about the series. I thought the Warriors were going to win it anyway, but that without really knowing about Wiggins and then they lost the first two games. So, you know, we all go back and forth, but the Warriors with Wiggins is a different thing, you know. Oh yeah, it's just a totally different thing, and he's another guy to guard Fox, another guy who can be put on Monk if you need him to. A guy can go get buckets. He got bucket. He got a huge bucket in the fourth quarter last night. Uh, it changes who they are for the finals. I mean, for, for the finals. Did I say that? No. For man, the playoffs. Man, for the playoffs. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> for the, I'm, whoa, I'm, I'm trying to book flights here now to Boston or something. <laughs> or Miami. How about that? Warriors Miami. Miami. Oh, my goodness. Okay, here's a, here's a simplifying one here. Other than number 30 of the Golden State Warriors, who would you say is their MVP in the series? It's Looney. Uh, you're not going to be surprised by that answer. Um, I mean, I tweeted something last night that – he needs a renegotiation after this series. Uh, that's the best value contract in the NBA. And it's not, a, you know, there have been times when Looney would have the, in the past, these, uh, you know, these kind of impressive, but occasional um, moments in the playoffs where, where we would write about how Looney matters and Looney's important, but he has become like a, a foundational part of the program which is something I did not see coming. You know, you have the health stuff earlier in his career, spent a lot of time on the sideline. Um, You even have like the personality stuff, which is interesting. He's pretty understated, fairly quiet. Even the physical stuff, you know, he's an old school, big, can't jump over the credit card type of approach, Um, but smart as hell and physical as hell. And it's just the way, again, going back to the Sabonis thing, the way he has short-circuited with Draymond, the the most important part of the Kings offense, 
that's how you win this series. So for me, it's Looney and it goes beyond the X's and O's stuff too. It's, you know, a couple of years back, you, you felt like he was just the younger, quieter guy in the corner of a room that had a lot of force of personality, you know, Draymond clay to a, a different degree, Steph. Now, as Steve Kerr's talked about, um, you know, he, this guy's a leader and this guy speaks up and this guy has something to say. If you go back to the Draymond Green, Jordan Poole saga in October, you know, Kerr talked a lot about how important Looney was. So uh, to have all of that on the contract, what did he sign? Is it three years, 25? Yeah, million? it was like six or seven a year. It was just, yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And he's not, yeah. this has happened before, right? It's happened before um, where he's, hit the open market. The Warriors have let him hit the open market and he's come right back to them. Well, and that's where the, the kind of the dynasty is hangs, you know, on by the, the skin of its teeth because they had all those luxury tax questions last summer. They lose Gary Payton the second to Portland auto Porter's gone, all those things, you know, they were, they were throwing darts at the board to an extent in terms of like who we can't hold on to all of them, but who are we going to hold on to? They obviously picked the right one. If they don't have Kevon Looney in this series, they very well may lose the series. It's a, it's a series where Draymond Green got suspended for a game, right? And yeah. they won it, and they yeah. won it. And if they yeah. don't have Looney, they probably don't win uh, that game. Uh, Looney, no question. The fact that Draymond is up at the podium. And Draymond, you know, he says things, but when he says something like this, it means something. He goes, he's Iguodala or Livingston now. And anybody yeah. who was around the Warriors at the beginning of this dynasty, the middle of this dynasty, knows what it means for Draymond to say that because those those guys might have statues. Looney, sta- I mean, we're talking, like, Steph brought it up, statues. Like, statues are on their mind a little bit. kind of wish I wrote that a little bit. But, sure. you know, we know Steph, Draymond, Clay, and you go, Iguodal, Livingston, Looney. That's the six. That's the six right now. And Wiggins might be seventh pretty soon. Like, this is, this is, uh, we talk about foundational. It's like uh, casting. They're, they're casting their molds right now. Jesus, I start talking like this. I'm going to talk myself into writing Final statues. <laughs> where are you at? This is a total aside, but I can't help myself. Uh, where are you at? Uh, no KD statue? Like I feel like Kevin, you know. I think it was up to Joe, Joe Lake of the Scrooby yeah. KD statue. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe. maybe. I mean, you know, two finals MVP, two championships. It's hard. And three right. trips to the finals. Yeah, I, I, probably. I don't know. I mean, that one, yeah. I think the six I named are ahead of him. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that. It's gonna be. Uh, we we thought that uh, you know the the building formerly known as Staples had a lot of statues out front. <laughs> this is gonna be something. Marcus Thompson statue. You know, there's gonna be all <laughs> kinds of different things they gotta do. All different kinds of things. Producer Brian here asking yeah, for his, well, yeah, his I statue. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see how this thing is edited. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm gonna wait till posting. Uh, we're we're going longer than I said, but this is just good stuff. If since this is going to be up for a while, people I want people to listen to for a few days. If it's Warriors Lakers, if they both win Friday, it will be Warriors Lakers game one 1230 at Chase Center on Sunday. What were your first thoughts? That's a big if, first of all, because I these Grizzlies look pretty good in game five. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. Um, first thoughts, you know, the NBA, Adam Silver on down, massive smiles on their faces, getting LeBron versus Steph in the second round all the history between them, you know, that's fantastic. We talked about all the discussion about Sabonis and Looney and Draymond and the bigs. Uh, You know, you get another fantastic front court battle when it comes to Anthony Davis battling with Draymond and Looney and and guys like that. The the depth of the Lakers, um, you know, counters some of the depth of the Warriors. And I like those matchups, the Austin Reeves of the world, 
but but less history. Obviously, nobody has as much personal history as these Warriors. But but the Lakers are on the the bottom of that list. They they're still in that getting to know you period with Rui Hachimura, you know, and and all those different guys. Uh, but they have been playing pretty well. And other than Game Five, you know, I, if that's where it goes, I I'm I, I think I would have the Warriors. I don't know how long. Um, but the the Lakers, they keep showing moments. Their defense is very good, and that matters in the playoffs. But they're wildly inconsistent. And again, I know the Warriors. The Warriors are to me, uh, they do not look as old as the Lakers do, which is saying something because Anthony Davis is not really that old. Um, but between LeBron and AD, they show their age on you know games back to backs in the regular season, playoff games when there's one day in between. Um, so, I mean, if I had to put a number on it, I guess I'd say Warriors and six. Just say, I, I, you know, in a weird way that Sabonis is like almost perfect for the Warriors. They just know how to defend that. They've defended Jokic in, in sort of a similar way that that kind of ball distribution center. The Lakers don't do that, right? They don't run it through Anthony Davis. They get it to him to finish plays. Uh, that's bothered the Warriors a lot more. Like that just seems to be when the ball pops around and gets back to a, a really good center they've had issues with that and they've sure. really had issues with Anthony Davis being a shot blocker. So I haven't decided what I'm going to do. I think whatever I pick is probably going to be seven games because yeah. I just think the Lakers are a tougher match. I wouldn't have thought that, but I think the Lakers are going to be a tougher, not maybe not athletically, certainly not like the Kings, but I think even with Warriors having the home court, I think this, if this is the way it is, it will be a tougher series. I don't think Memphis would be a tough series for the Warriors, by the way. I do not. I think they would love, I wouldn't love to see it for the, for the flights involved, right. but I think the Warriors yeah. think they, I think Warriors like, we got this team. Like I think they figure they beat them. I don't know. The, I don't know the Lakers. They, they, that takes some time. And, and LeBron can figure out some stuff too. He can. We're going way over, way, way over, but yeah, anything well, you want But you're add. also missing the biggest storyline. I can't believe you didn't bring up D'Angelo Russell's revenge. Yeah, you know, come on. <laughs> yeah, hey. I they went out and got this guy as like the Warriors that, kryptonite. That's what they were doing. It could be the Lakers kryptonite too at the very same time. <laughs> That's the worst because we don't know what to expect from this guy. But he, he is kind of, I know I'm kidding, TK, but like he's also kind of the perfect poster boy for these Lakers when it comes to the inconsistency, like he hit some three straight threes the other night was big in, in that game five. Um, but then he'll disappear. Oh, you know what I was well. thinking before he hit those three threes, like, Oh, they can't play him in fourth quarter. I literally right. was thinking that. Right. And then right. boom, boom, boom. We went right. to the game. Well, Schroeder's like that. Uh, you know, they got some guys who are like that Reeves, right. you know, in a lesser way. Like I think Reeves, what are you doing? Taking the ball to Jaron Jackson, like three straight times, you're going to get right. it stuffed in your face, but then he does it. They, they got these kind of, Hachimura is kind of this random element. Yeah, Those guys can do some stuff in the playoffs. Like if they just have no conscious and just go out there and you're connected to LeBron and AD, I think the Lakers are dangerous. I really do. Did you see, by the way, I'll, I'll stop giving you little asides, but did you see this video that was pretty cool? of Steph uh, as a kid hanging with his dad on, on a court and uh, and Austin Reeves in a Warriors jersey coming up to say hello to Steph. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it's pretty wild. No. I don't know how what the ages are. They're really young. Like Steph yeah. is obviously older um, mm-hmm. by by a lot, but like it, it's just two young boys and, and Austin, the, the boy who is just uh, not wanting to talk to Dell Curry, he's actually trying to talk to Steph and say hi. And Dell looks at Austin and kind of tells his son, like, say, say hello, son. You know, <laughs> it's just crazy. And and now, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll be competing against each other. Hillbilly Kobe. How about That's that? Right. We're going way over. I just got to ask you about, we had that Giannis moment with Eric Neem asking him, you know, losing in the playoffs. 
your championship, you know, winning player team, is it a failure to to go out in the first round? And Giannis gave this incredible answer. It was a little testy, but we know he has a really good relationship with Eric. I think that's the inside stuff that we know yeah. that it's part of this broader. He felt comfortable kind of going off on it. I think partly because he knew he had a relationship with Eric. Maybe that's one of the reasons why Eric asked it. But then Mark Cuban criticized it. Uh, I like Mark a lot of times. I think he's an idiot a lot of times. He's an idiot on this one. Just, I think he's sensitive to the fact that Luca is going to get these questions more and more sure. if he doesn't win. Uh, sure. Just the, the interplay of playoff media, Sammy. I mean, I, I experienced it through the prism of the Warriors, who have a kind of different relationship with this. But what 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 was your reaction when you saw the question, the answer, and just the response to it? The, I mean, the question itself, I feel like the mic drop, if you're Eric, is that it's are these jobs, it's not always the, the ends doesn't always justify the means, but there's an element of that here. Like, are we really debating whether it was a good question when it created that answer? Like, why are we even talking about this? That answer was fantastic. And that answer doesn't exist without that specific question. If you take one of Mark Cuban's AI questions and say, you know, how are you processing this latest, you know, you wonderful, valiant player? Like it was like, this is so depressing. For you. It was like, unbelievable. Yeah. Then guess what? It, it's I, the, what I loved. I'll put it this way is that it was brilliant in the binary nature of it. It's an open-ended question. It, and, and to Eric's credit, and this is the stuff it's fine. The readers, fans don't understand the context. Go ahead and drag Eric and act like he got owned. I guarantee you he and Giannis are fine. They have a long relationship, like 90% of the best Giannis Antetokounmpo work out there where you learned who he is as a human being comes from Eric name. That's about they as close a, as an NBA superstar is to any, any yeah. writer. Right? And they have and, a and, lot of history. Yeah. And like, we don't have to go too broad with this, but the general public by and large doesn't like the media. So they just, all they see is a question where you said, is it a failure? And they think it's click like to accuse Eric of being clickbaity. How in the hell can you thrive, not survive, but thrive in that role for that long with this superstar? If you take a clickbaity approach to your job, that's not what this was. He chooses. It's funny because he is the most X's and O's analytics heavy writer possibly on our staff, just in terms of diving incredibly deep on the basketball side, asking the kinds of basketball questions that the players love because a lot of times we don't ask those questions. We ask about the emotion and the narratives and the storylines. Eric doesn't do that. Eric is heavy on basketball 90 plus percent of the time. And then to his credit, he picks his spots and and no better time than when a number one seed loses to an eight seed to force them to look in the mirror and just tell the world, do you see it as a failure? And then Giannis, you know, I mean, him being a little fired up, guess what? A lot of times that's, that wasn't by design, but that is what, inspires you know the insight and what inspires the true feelings and the true perspective instead of the cliches and, and that's what he got to i thought it was great you know broadly speaking to the ai stuff is it's insulting it's dehumanizing like go ahead it's fine everybody wants to act like we don't need to be in there enjoy your nba coverage when it's <laughs> nothing but people who are on the league's payroll and you know people who nobody are nobody is friggin reading that crap right that's i'm telling right. you right now nobody reads that crap that mark cuban seems to want yeah. it's crap and if he wants luca handle like that nobody will read about your freaking team mark right uh and by the way i mean there are clickbait questions we have all been there in finals and weird For sure questions out of nowhere that one was not one of them 
And I think that's why you're seeing the secondary reaction of people to it, that this is what happens when you have a real relationship with a superstar. And right. sometimes it's going to be a bark bag. I've had Draymond bark back at me. I've had Steve Kerr bark back at me, but we got relationships. Right. So it, they can withstand that. All right, Sam, this is going way too long. I'm not going to ask you my regular question. I'm sorry. It's just we've got I, I'm going to cut to cut this off because I've taken you like 10 minutes longer than no I worries, said I would. We, I will get you the regular question when we have you on again. I guarantee you we will have you on again if you are so willing. And thank you for subbing for me in in a large fashion. Six man of the year, probably outperform <laughs> me every step of the way on all 82. I'm, but, I'm a regular uh, Draymond over here. I, I banged you are. You got the salary too. Let me believe okay. you. Too. <laughs> of course, I've got, I've got the other salary too. So I can't, I can't complain. All right, Sammy, listen, appreciate it so much. All right, TK. Okay, here we are for part two of this week's podcast. Uh, we are talking now 49ers draft. I've always got to have some some attention on 49ers draft. The Warriors have usually helped me out by being done with the first round before the draft. This time they are not. That's okay. This is the one where the 49ers don't have a pick until, what, 99, 101, whatever it is. What is it, Barros? What's their first pick? 99. 99. Yes, so about there you... uh, 35 hours. From... <laughs> <laughs> so this basically, this this thing is not on the clock. This podcast will last if we're just talking about what who they might pick. Uh, but let's get a little, let's just chat about a few things. Like, what what do you think? Could they make a move into the second round? Could they make this exciting? Should they make this exciting? They could, absolutely. Um, let's say that they pooled all three of their, their late third-round picks. All, all three are compensatory picks. That's enough ammo to get them into the end of the second round. So I'm sure there are some guys that they like. And to me, the the big uh, missing piece or piece that they, they need to think about improving is right tackle. And I don't, I'm not sure if you waited until pick 99, whether you could, uh, you could find a guy who could step in and, and push McKivitz for the starting job this year, maybe next year uh, for sure. But I think you could, if you went all the way up into the second round, um, there's a guy named Matthew Bergeron played at Syracuse. He worked out uh, this, uh, this winter with Joe Staley. He's part of that group. So um, and that's about where he's supposed to go. So somebody like that, I think, would make a lot of sense. They they hosted Isaiah Foskey, a uh, Notre Dame guy. Always have uh -oh. to uh oh right tackle. Put put a little star next to the the Golden <laughs> Domers, uh, given who runs this team. Was he a team captain at Notre Dame? He was absolutely <laughs> a team captain at Notre Dame, and um, you know, and and fits the Chris Kasarek, you know, gets off the the snap very quickly. And so he would be somebody, you know, they're, they're uh, leaning uh, an awful lot on Drake Jackson right now, uh, who didn't, you know, didn't bowl anybody over, showed some nice things as a rookie, but um, it's a bit of a leap of faith right now with him. This would sort of hedge your bets a little bit about that other defensive end spot. So moving forward in, 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 in you know, coming year, th this year they've got, uh, you know, Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant. Those guys are both on one-year deals. If you brought in another sort of high-profile edge rusher there, your future would be Bosa, Drake Jackson, and whoever this guy is. Let's say it's Foskey, and that's that's pretty good. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd have a really, really nice rotation of edge rushers, which they really haven't had for a long time. Um, ever since D Ford. Ford. Well, yeah, the D Ford era, and, and Ford got hurt even – 
during that uh, that initial season that he was here. So it's been a while since they've had the bookend edges that I know that Chris Kacerik is dying to get. I just feel a tackle here because here's where, I mean, you're not sure about McKivitt's right tackle. People can have all their feelings about McGlinchey, and he certainly had his issues pass blocking for sure, but he was somebody who could just ride in at right tackle. Somebody who who they knew, I, and now it becomes very clear that they weren't going to resign because he was going to be so valuable on the open market. That's a valuable player. So you're not sure about that. Pretty important position. They run to their right a lot. I know you got you can put Kittle in there, but you, that's very important. And then what happens if Trent Williams gets hurt? Matt Barrows. He's not young. If he gets hurt, who's playing left tackle? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, um, they're not deep at tackle. They've got McKivitz, who at one point, A, at one point he'd been cut, and then they they resigned him. And and after resigning him, they thought, okay, this this guy's future is probably at guard. So he's not um, he's not perfectly cast to be the right tackle. I, I think the 49ers feel as if they could actually upgrade in pass protection with uh, McKibbitts versus uh, Mike McGlinchey. What they're absolutely certain of is there's going to be a downgrade in, in run blocking from McGlinchey to McKibbitts. So yeah, after, after that it's Jalen Moore and, and they're not uh, super pumped about him. Um, and then they brought in Matt Pryor, a, uh, a veteran. And, and those are basically your tackles right now. There's a couple of developmental guys on the roster as well, but yeah, I mean, that's a spot. And it, the, the guy that David and I keep pointing to is uh, a guy from BYU, Blake Freeland um, had a fantastic combine, ran very fast under five seconds, which is unheard of for, uh, you know, a 300 pound guy tall. He's six foot eight, didn't uh, zero holding penalties last year, zero sacks given up last year um, and moves and, and absolutely could get out and do those blocks that uh, Kyle Shanahan requires and, and which Mike McGlinchey did so well the, the past four years. His issue, like McGlinchey's, is that he's over 300 pounds, but it's not by much. Um, he doesn't have uh, a lot of heft. Uh, he doesn't have like a big thick big lower base, body big base not uh not gonna be able to brace uh for the bull rush so it, there would be some mcglinchy issues i think um at least early on uh he, he's a guy who's still sort of developing getting stronger adding weight but uh, i think that would be um an issue for him and, and maybe it's something where the 49ers say okay hey 2023 is going to be your red shirt year we're going to get you ready to to be a starter in, in 2024. And, and they just basically give the uh, give the job to McKibbitts uh, for this season. That's, that's one of my my few predictions I'm making is that they're going to take a tackle or their first pick. Either they're going to try to jump in the second round and get one of the guys you mentioned, or they're just going to have to take a tackle somewhere. They, they, they need another tackle. Uh, and my next one is kind of combined with two things. Like, I'll ask you it as a in the form of a question. This is Jeopardy now on the TK show. Uh, do you think they're going to draft a quarterback? And what would that mean to Trey Lance if they do? What is yes? Um, <laughs> I think they will. I mean, uh, to me, it's either they'll draft one late or they'll take one after the draft. Uh, because um, if you drafted one, you know, let's, let's say it's Jake Hayner. Um, and, and Hayner, when he was here, he was, he was here for the local pro day, said he thought he could go in the third round. Whenever you hear that from either the, the prospect 
or the prospect's agent, you add at least a round and a half to that. So let's just say Hayner is a, a fourth round pick, um, but he, he's big enough of a name that um, I, I think that, you know, you, you, you take him and then it's not automatic that you could get him to your practice squad. Um, it's, you know, just to reiterate or to, you know, remind people in, in order to put somebody on the practice squad, you have to cut that player and expose him to, to waivers. So any other team can, can pick up that player uh, and then you can sign that guy to the practice squad the next day. So that's sort of the, the dynamic is that at some point early in the season, they're going to have Trey Lance, they're going to have a healthy Brock Purdy, and they're going to have Sam Darnold. And those are, you know, already you're talking about three guys on the 53 man. This is a team that would much prefer to keep two on the 53 man. Uh, and it, it's not going to be a fourth quarterback. So they, they need to get that fourth quarterback, whoever he is, onto the practice squad. So that's why I think if they drafted somebody, it's it's sixth or seventh round, somebody who you easily can project to the practice squad. Or like I said, you know, a, a, a Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins was undrafted. Um, and they did that actually from 17 through 20 or uh, 20 or 21. And don't don't ask me to tell you the names of the uh, undrafted quarterbacks that they brought in. But that was sort of uh, the M.O. for Kyle Shanahan during those years. They would they would bring in a lesser known college quarterback. He would help out in training camp and whatnot. Um, and then um, he'd get cut. Uh, but this year they they need that guy. They need that guy to. To, to run some practices because they're not going to have Brock Purdy for all of the spring and probably at least some of the, uh, of the, of the summer, some of the training camp. Uh, if they take a Jake Hanner, I don't, I don't know that they will, but let's say they take like Kyle Shanahan. I just love Jake Hanner. And we know Kyle can follow the quarterbacks. I think they might trade Trey Lance. I mean, I don't think they're being offered much for him, but that you run in that numbers thing. Like they would be so afraid of losing Jake Hanner by putting him on the practice squad. You're not caring for I don't think they want to trade Trey. And if I, I've said, I don't think they're going to, but I, can you see the scenario where Kyle's like, I like this guy. I'm not going to cut him. I think Brock's doing okay. We got Darnold. We got like, I can play this rookie quarterback. Cause you know what? I played a rookie quarterback last year. It was drafted in the seventh round. I can do it with this guy. Or do you think that's a little far-fetched? I don't think it's far-fetched. Um, I think that would um, happen, you know, uh, you know, mid-August. I mean, let's go back to last year. When when did um, Kyle Shanahan really start to believe in, in Brock Purdy? It was when he saw him running these training camp uh, practices, when he saw him in the preseason rally the team. I forget what uh, opponent it was. It was before that Minnesota game uh, because we started hearing about his his love of Brock when they oh, were the, out yeah, in the practices in Minnesota, right? Yeah. yeah in practice. Minneapolis for those joint practices. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, but let's just say, let's just do a, a, a Jake Hayner scenario. So um, Brock Purdy's hurt. So it's, uh, it's Lance, it's Darnold and it's Jake Hayner basically running the practices. Jake Hayner is running the third team. Jake Hayner gets into the first two preseason games and, and plays a lot of the second half. Jake Hayner uh, orchestrates a, a come from behind victory and uh, really impresses Shanahan with his acumen and this, that, and the other, all the things that, um, that uh, Brock Purdy did last year. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, I just don't know what they would be, you know, they could get for Trey Lance at that point. But, um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, uh, very quickly, uh, Purdy last year boosted uh, – <laughs> he lost his name – Nate Sunfeld off the <laughs> roster. Uh, Sunfeld, not quite the same profile as Trey Lance. I don't think the 49ers gave up three first rounds to get he him. He got $2 million, though. For <laughs> he did. For, for well, some- it wasn't nothing. It wasn't nothing. But, yeah, I mean, that that would be the way that that happened. Uh, again, I don't think so, only because, uh, boy, the uh, what they gave up for Trey Lance, they could not even close to recoup. No, I, I think they've given up on that. And I think that's one thing I compliment the 49ers on is not a good trade. They it, you know, didn't work out. They're not going to get stuck on trying to make it work out. Like they've made their decision. I, I don't think they dislike Trey. I think Brock Purdy is ahead of them. And when you have Brock Purdy ahead of them, that has all kinds of other filtering effects. Uh, what's going to go on? I don't think they're going to take Hainer. I don't know. I think they're going to trade Trey, but I think there's a possibility of it. I'm going to make my prediction here, Matt Barrows. You might have heard me Let's say this it. before. Yeah. They're going to end up with Stetson Bennett. I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know exactly. And maybe they don't have to, to draft him. So that's a guy that you can definitely do a practice squad thing. Yeah. I think Hayner's going to be a little too costly. Might not exactly love him. I think he's a way above Stetson Bennett, but you can get Bennett in the seventh round, maybe. You know, you can maybe get him in the sixth. And if he doesn't work out, goodbye. So what? He was a six round, seven round pick. Um, but he's a guy I think they can think, you know what? This guy might be able to play, right? He's played in the SEC's one national championships game. He's not big, but Bryce Young is not big either. Like, you know, there's a way you can play, and Brock Purdy's not huge. I just can feel that one being very interesting to the 49ers. I'm going to predict. I mean, who knows if it happens? I might be way off, but, like, I can just – and then you can, can't can you see the thinking there? If they get a guy like Stetson Bennett and he's ready to go and you can get three games out of him in, in a – NFL season, then Trey Lance's value drops because that's kind of his value at this point. If you have Sam Darnold again, I'm just playing it out. I think they're going to be very interested in Stetson Bennett. Your thoughts, Sparrows? Yeah, no, he checks all the boxes. Um, starting with where he's going to get drafted. I mean, it's it's sixth or seventh or undrafted for for Stetson Bennett. I think he's five two with little tiny. <laughs> you look down, Barrows. You look down on. You look down on. <laughs> Bully him a little I'm bit. A, yeah, I'm old school when it comes to my quarterbacks. Um, but uh, no, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, Jake Hayner has started to bristle at all the uh, Brock Purdy comparisons he gets. Um, although I think the comparisons are, are pretty good. Stetson Bennett's are really close to 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 Brock Purdy's as well. Um, and, played tons of games. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, played above himself, tons of games, uh, you know, enough mobility, buys himself time, doesn't have a huge arm, but it's good enough. Uh, I, I think um, he will remind Shanahan a lot of Purdy. Uh, the, the quarterback, you know, I try to sleuth out who's visited and what kind of hints we can get. Quarterbacks are tough. Uh, they spent a lot of time with uh, Dorian uh, Thompson Robinson from UCLA. Um, no other visits that I've heard about. I tried really hard to, to find out what their interest level was in Stetson Bennett, and I couldn't. So I don't know. It would not surprise me at all if he was one of the guys that they that they brought out. Um, you know, last year, all they did with Brock Purdy was, was had, had a little Zoom call with him. Yep. That's, Wasn't yeah. even Shanahan. 
So um, I don't I don't know. I mean, uh, I still haven't figured out exactly why they bring some guys in and, and they don't others. Um, you know, somebody like Purdy who played a lot. Um, you know, there are there are less questions. There there are fewer questions about him than um, somebody who didn't. But you know, DTR played a lot too. I mean, yep. He's, yep. he's been in. Uh, in uh, Westwood forever. So uh, I'm not exactly sure why. Well, listen, and there are questions about Cesar Bennett. We can say off the field questions. So yeah. So, so that would, you would, that would you, mean, yeah. right. And there are off the field questions. So, and, and um, you know, there, there are some things about him that you, you, you don't love. Um, and, and that would trigger a, a 30 visit. I mean, the, the fewer questions, the, the, the less the need to bring the guy out here. So, um, yeah, would not surprise at all if Stetson Bennett were, were part of that group of 30. Let's see if we can get that aggregated, Barrow. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Let, let's see if this get, gets bopped around out there. I hope it doesn't because I'm probably wrong, but it just might get get, get the, a little bit of bounce out there. All right, Barrow. So what what? What's going to be the feeling after this draft? That the, the, the 49ers draft a bunch of backups. They're going to find a starter out of these guys. Do they have to find a starter out? Of, I don't even know if they can find a starter out of these guys. Like, well, what's going to be the when you kind of look back and say this thing's over? We've just talked to Shanahan and Lynch for the third time. Whatever, how many days you're going to talk to them? This is what we now think about the 49ers. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think they're going to find some good players. I mean. 2023 starters? Probably not. I mean, the 49ers don't even start second rounders <laughs> as rookies. So, um, you know, uh, somebody who comes in at the end of the third, uh, I'd, I'd be even less surprised if they start. But, you know, think about where the roster is. They've got um, – they really like Deshaun Gibson um, being sort of the the venerable safety opposite Talano Hufanga. But, but uh, you know, Gibson's 32 uh, he's not signed beyond next year. So they could easily take a safety with one of those three picks. That guy plays a lot of uh, special teams in uh, in year one. And then he's uh, the the leader of the, the group to take over for Deshaun Gibson next year. Um, you know, I, I've been uh, heavy on the tight ends because I, I think in this draft, especially where the 49ers are picking, you can get – starter caliber guy at the end of the third round. I mean, this guy's not going to come in and take George Kittle's shot, but he can definitely compliment Kittle for a few years. And then, you know, if Kittle turns 30 this year uh, is gone, uh, you know, uh, and this guy's coming up with a a new contract, he could be your new tight end one at some point. Um, And then, you know, we just talked about tackle and we just talked about defensive end. I mean, these are all, um, you know, like I said, I, I think two, 2023 is, is, is pretty unrealistic, but 2024, I think that's what the 49ers have their eye on uh, when it comes to this draft. I know where they need a starter, though. Kicker? Robbie Goldland. <laughs> Get a kicker. I don't know. It's hard for me to see Kyle Shanahan using a draft pick on a kicker. But, you He's know. A high draft pick. On yeah, uh, yeah, like anything above a five. Uh, it just seems real. I mean, I know Moody is really good. The, the guy from Michigan watched him a lot. Jim Harbaugh trusted him to kick those. Man, he did he trust him to kick field goals. But I just can't see Kyle Shanahan saying, you know what? I could get this really good backup tight end who might become the starter in three years or two years, or I can draft a kicker who might be horrendous. And, you know, once he starts missing kicks, I have to cut immediately. But, you know, that's an, kickers tend to be undrafted, right? Even, you know, some many good ones. Do you got an eye on a kicker? You think that, that they might be uh, might be attracted to them? 
Yeah, I mean, um, the sweet spot for the kicker is the the fourth round. And 49ers don't have a fourth round pick. Uh, they do have some almost fourth round picks. I, mean, I, I feel like the only way they um, they bring in Moody is if they decide that he's just got that that magical it. Like he's got that Robbie Gold confidence um, that if they're going to Green Bay, this is the guy that can can make you the kicks. And and you'd have to be really convicted about that. And I just think that there's too much. Um, you know, uh, bad history with rookie kickers. I mean, kicker is a position where you're way better at age 35 than you were at age 22. Um, you know, it's it's been one disaster after another. Last year's kicker, uh, Cade York, middle of the fourth round of the Browns, um, you know, th- that was high for a kicker. And he, he struggled. I mean, um, he probably did okay for a rookie kicker, but not he didn't do well among the other starting kickers in this league. So that's a lot to put on um, a guy, uh, especially on a team. If this was a rebuilding team, maybe. Uh, but this is the team that expects to be playing in the playoffs. And do you want to put all that pressure on a rookie? Um, uh, I, you know, I, I think that they would have to conclude that Jake Moody is ultra special to do that. So it's very hard to see. Um, the guy I, I mocked to them is Anders Carlson, uh, who played at Auburn and who probably would have been in the conversation with, with Moody and Chad Ryland, who played at Maryland, um, if he hadn't uh, of uh, torn his ACL back in 21. And the word on the street, and Tim, I've done a lot of kicker <laughs> reporting, more than I ever have in, in 21 years. Uh, the word on the street is that he's looked better and better and gotten stronger and stronger. Uh oh! Phone uh, call. Agent calling. This could be this could be Carlson's agent right now. Uh, But uh, thumbs up. Thumbs up. He's either late seventh or um, priority free agent type of guy. So that's that's who I think that they're going to go with. Enough kicker talk. Um, All right, let's end the show with a version of a question I've asked you many times before. I ask all my guests, except for I skip it occasionally these days. I don't know why. I just have done it. Matt Barros, what's your favorite TV show right now? You know, I um. I was uh, born in the, uh, I'm not going to date myself, but I'm just going to say I was born in the early 1970s. Richard Nixon was president. So I was in that, that sweet spot of childhood when Star Wars came out and just became uh, fascinated with, with uh, Star Wars and then The Empire Strikes Back and then uh, Return of the Jedi. I was pretty good. <laughs> it's all been just gigantic disappointments to me since then. Everything. The, the movies, the TV shows, the spinoffs, until I was finally uh, arm twisted into watching Andor. And it was really good. It was it was actually fantastic. Um, finally, you know, a, uh, a Star Wars spinoff for adults yep. um, where the, the acting was tremendous. The writing was good. Not not a lot of, you know, Ewoks or R2-D2s or things like that. It was like humans actually acting. Um, and uh, it was just a, a really good setup and um, a well-thought-out show. I was absolutely uh, surprised and impressed. And maybe my, uh, my expectations were low going in, so that accounts for it. But uh, if you haven't seen Andor, it's, uh, it's worth a view. 
I love, I mean, Andor is one of my favorite shows. And, okay, good. Yeah, no question. Uh, authentic, you know, I mean, based in Star Wars world, of course, but gritty, human level. Uh, and we'll just say it, a little bit of a spoiler, the, the Jailbreak is one of the greatest episodes of all time. I just, I just love that. That was an incredible episode. So the emotions, the kind of the, the, the density of what was going on and the drama at the end. And a way to go, Barry. You got good taste. You got you. Uh, we know this about you. Your solid taste. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you can stray from it. I think, but this one, you're dead along with me. The Last of Us would be the other one. I, if you haven't seen that, then I would watch that. Last there's of some. Yeah, there's some kind of dramatic similarities. The depth of it, the emotion of it, the kind of the 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 you know, it just logicalness of it. It isn't just spacey stuff. It's, you know, science or science fiction. It's like real human stuff. So but I would say a zombie movie though, yeah, but it's, it's a game. It's a video game. So, but the, the TV of it is really, really solid. Rogue one, who was, which was the movie made by Tony Gilroy, who did Andor is the best post, you know, post original trilogy, Star Wars. I would definitely recommend that. It's the same director same kind of worldview within the, the star wars context yeah, and so. diego luna's in it too right? yes yeah it okay, has yeah. a bit part but um that one is really grounded it really feels like a cohesive thing which i think you and i would agree many many uh, of the other post original uh sequel uh, series star wars isn't yeah it? My success with Andor led me to start watching uh, Mandalorian, and mm -hmm. I didn't no, get no, far no, in the no. Mandalorian before I hit the old click. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason for this. Yeah, there's it's Tony Gilroy is the one who's pulled it off, yeah. and it's an Andor and Rogue One. I would recommend Rogue One also for anyone who looking for something else. I, I watched Rogue One when I when it came out. I liked it. Then since Andor, I went back and watched it again, and it is you just love it even more. So Rogue One, go with that one. All right, Barrows, thanks so much. We had a little double stack show this, this today, this week, whatever. Sam Amick to start. Thank Sam and Matt Barrows for part two. I love it. A couple little, of Sacramento little, Bee guys. I love it. I know. It. I should get your, your comments on the on the Kings. But you know what? I just don't care. I won't ask you. <laughs> yeah, right, I don't think the Kings are very long for this world. Um, <laughs> with, with that, that's the show for today. Thanks, everybody.